Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 and we're back. Ooh, lucky number 13. Oh, yeah. Ooh, creepy. It was just <laughs> Friday the 13th. Yeah, well, now it's episode 13. Ooh. Brown ambition. <laughs> the spooky edition. So we're going to start with a little bit of sad news. That um, you've probably all heard about by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a series of explosions in Paris. Um, what about like two days ago? Did it was record? Friday night. Mm-hmm. Friday night. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I don't know exactly how many people passed. Last time I saw it was over 60 people. 129. Wow. Yeah. It was, I think, six or seven coordinated attacks okay. at places that, at a theater, the theater was one of the the, the worst Okay. in terms of deaths. I think 60 people alone died at that theater. Wow. Then there was attack at the um, uh, stadium where they were playing soccer. I saw that. France versus Germany. Mm-hmm. And then play, what really made it freaky, I think, for a lot of people, and me too, I mean, I went to a theater Friday night for a show. Okay. Um, and just like, you're all crammed in there. And they attacked also at some public places at like a shopping, outdoor shopping mall. Yeah. And then I was reading on a, like a restaurant where people were sitting on the terrace mm-hmm. and then a bar. People were just, I mean, it was Friday night. So, you're, so everybody's just kind of out. Mm-hmm. And so just so many, just unnecessary, so many lives are lost. And so if you are on Facebook now, you probably have seen that people have changed their Facebook profile picture to blue, to the French uh, flag, mm-hmm. which is blue, white, red. There's and been a ton of like an, just an outpouring of, it, it, you know, I was only 14 when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. I wasn't living in New York then, but I imagine it was similar. This is the biggest disaster, the biggest attack on Paris since World War II, I read. Okay. So there's so. been a huge like worldwide reaction, especially in, in, in the United States. They're a big ally. Um, but like Tiffany and I were talking about earlier. That, yeah. that I mean, so a lot of people have, I, it's so funny how, depending on who your friends are, that's your view of the world via Facebook anyway. And so I, I, I saw a lot of, not pushback with, with the display of sympathy, but just sort of frustration that, so this is something incredibly sad and incredibly unnecessary that happened in Paris, but that other things have happened in other parts of the world. For example, in Kenya, I think it was April, uh, there was an attack on a university in Kenya and 100, I think, and 47 people mm-hmm. were killed. Students. Students. And you might be like, there was, and that's exactly the problem. That there, it was it was reported, but it really was not, it was kind of, kind of like a blip on the world's screen. And it the, was it wasn't an ISIS attack. Mm-hmm. But it was Al Shabaab. Yeah, I think I, and I'm another Islamic right. extremist. Yeah, 
And two days ago, or sorry, two days before, maybe it was the day before or two days before in Beirut. Yes. I saw 47 that. people were killed. And I think that was an ISIS attack. Um, and then France, you know, Paris happened and the world stopped, caught their breath, mm-hmm. you know, still catching their breath. And so, of course, we're not saying that you should not be, should not feel sad or mad or upset of what happened in Paris because it's a terrible thing regardless. No life is worth more than another life. That's not what we're saying. But I guess it's just frustrating because it's like when things happen in countries where brown people dwell, unfortunately, that doesn't always capture the world's sympathy like other countries. And it's just illustrated, you know, this year, like I said, with Paris and Kenya. And I think what, I mean, obviously, there's the fact that, I mean, France is a huge ally of the United mm-hmm. States, and typically in countries that have something to offer yeah. the U.S., Basically, yep. that's, you know, and, um, but that too, I mean, it's a developed nation, it's Paris, you yeah. know, there's so, there's such a romantic idea of what Paris is to the world, same with New York, mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, this is true. Um, and I think that when, when it's a place that you have, you know, a place that holds a very special um, and iconic spot in your yeah. mind, to see that get attacked and to see it get attacked so violently and out of the blue and for there to have been no warning and apparently no one knew it yeah. was happening, you know. I mean, the president of France was, was at the stadium. I know, that's crazy. Isn't that insane? And, mm-hmm. like, there was no warning. It, it. I think this, and it's another reason, like, these are people that you identify with yes. in, in America, you know, developed nation. These are people, like, going to theaters and, you know, and, you know, going after work to, for happy hour and things like that. And for that to happen, it just, it, it gives you chills. Yeah. So we're just mentioning that just so you can, just something to kind of put a buzz in your ear and think about. And just knowing that, you know, sympathy should shouldn't just be relegated to specific places in the world or I mean just I don't know thinking that's why we do brown ambition honestly for you to think about other people outside of just yourself because even me I didn't I had not heard about Kenya until I was just doing research for the show and I was like what and I'm African you I know? wouldn't have known if my friend who's from Kenya hadn't told me you know? mm-hmm. um, so so our our thoughts are with you Paris and also Kenya yes and everywhere else in the world that's been um, impacted by this and unnecessary, like you said, violence. Mm-hmm. So now that we've been some Debbie Downers. <laughs> <laughs> had to do it. Had to do it. <laughs> Maybe in some, oh, no, she didn't news. <laughs> Let's talk about Toronto. Toronto. Okay. So apparently wanting through the six with your woes is not allowed in Toronto. So Drake, come get your, um, come get your folks, right? That's where Drake is from, right? Right. They should do better. Mm-hmm. Let's set up, set up the story. So, okay. So there's this eighth grader. It's middle school. Set it up. Her name is... I say it wrong. Casey. Casey Kwanzaa. Yeah, Casey Kwanzaa. Casey with a K. So apparently Casey, who has this beautiful head of like, like just beautiful hair. Let's, let's set the, so who does she look, who could she be cousins with, kin with, hair wise? Um, I mean, any naturalista today who's growing their hair out. I know like something, somebody famous so that way they can be like, oh, okay. I'm trying to say. Famous. Oh, well, I love Akila Hughes. She does that um, series on. Brown, uh, not Brown Ambition. <laughs> she does that series on Fusion, that, that series called This Should Not Be News, and she has, like, a beautiful kind of, like, fro, but, like, a, you know, her fro, like, a neat fro. Yeah, like, like with little, like, kinky, curly twists. I'm thinking, twists. Like, like, you know her Jane's, I mean, not Jane, um, who's the woman from Girlfriends, um, Diana Ross's daughter? Oh, I love Tracy Ellis. Yeah, so she has, she kind of has, like, the same size. They have different yeah. ringlets, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, but definitely, like, the same size kind of, like, fro as 
Tracy Ellis. So just beautiful, right? It's really sad. There's like one example we can think of. I know. <laughs> oh, you know, there's a doctor on Grey's Anatomy now. She's really, her name is Megan something or other. Okay. She's a, yeah, black actress. Also has like this kind of hairstyle. Okay. So yeah. So just think Tracy Ellis Ross, but like, you know, like like tighter curls. So anyway, the beautiful little girl, Casey, she goes to school, you know, wearing her cute little hair at Amsbury Middle, um, Middle School in Toronto. And her principal tells her to give her like a scrunchie. It says, like, put your hair together, um, that it's too poofy, unprofessional, that no one would hire her with hair like that, and that if she was working in a store, no one would buy anything from her. Um, and so I just thought that that was crazy. And I just knew this had to have come from, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, a non-brown race. Let me see this principal. What does he look? Is it a he? No, she? a she. And so the, the principal, her name is Tracy Barnes. Yes, we're putting you on. Is she white? No, she's black. You're shitting me. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> sorry, in my like, mind it was like a little like, you know, finger wagging like no. or something like so, that. No, and so um, so the young woman, uh, Casey, yeah. I think her, her, her aunt posted online, and this is what her aunt says. She basically says, Tracy Barnes, why are you projecting your own self-hate onto my niece? Um, and so I just thought that was crazy. Like, honestly, think about Tracy Ellis Ross. You're not looking at her hair thinking to yourself, oh, this girl needs to put it away. Like, what mm-hmm. is all this beautiful hair about? I mean, maybe you are. And if you are, shame on you. The fact <laughs> that it's a black woman. Yeah. And she's right. You know, this is, this. She, I, I call this the raven Simone syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of in a way, I'm sorry to say her name again, but like, yeah, you you have your own securities about you, maybe your hair. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe this woman, she probably grew up at a time when it wasn't okay You're to right. wear a fro to school. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, she's she's missed the whole, like, natural, like, proud mm-hmm. um, of your natural roots kind of, like, movement that's been happening the last, you know, five, ten years. Um, this is really shocking and it's sad. It's, it's... It's a re- it's a reminder that people still feel this way, yeah. older people especially. Yes, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming she's like older because you know what? When, when I first went natural, my parents were like, "What did my dad say?" He said, um, "One, he said, so you never want to get married." I was like, "So yeah, and <laughs> old people, old yes. people are the root of all evil." I swear to God. And then black, said, white, brown, whatever. He said that my hair was revolutionary. Because you know what, though, my dad, when he came to America, he came during the 60s when that was, it was an act of revolution. You're like, black power. Yes. So that was, his worry was like, are you Miss Black Power? Are you, you know, like anti, he said it was also anti-establishment. And I just thought like, oh my God, my dad is the man. Meanwhile, he's from Nigeria. How are you the man? <laughs> but in some ways, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is rebuking traditional beauty standards. Mm-hmm. It is saying that I refuse to be put in a box. It is saying that I revolt against anyone who says I can't be my natural self. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a young girl to be told this, you know, I, I, growing up with like, I mean, you see my, like literally my hair today is as wild as, as it's been all week. And like, I would never have worn my hair like this. And when it looks I was pretty in middle school. It looks well anyway. Um <laughs> it's kind of a mess. But when I was in middle school, I, I had this huge kinky curly, like half relaxed, half straight hair because mm-hmm. my mom and I could never figure it out. And um I would cry trying to get it to be straight. I would oh. be crying with the curling iron and trying to do my like my mom would curl her hair, like uh-huh. her pretty blonde hair. Uh-huh. And I'd be trying to curl it just like her hers and like trying to look at, you know, my role models on TV, like Lizzie McGuire mm-hmm. and trying to get my hair. Oh my god, you're so young. I she know. said Lizzie McGuire. I know. And like <laughs> You know, there were a couple of like there was no Zendaya when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, there and uh, Amandala Sten- Stenberg. That um, maybe I'm saying her name wrong. Amandala Stenberg. Oh yeah, from the Hunger Games movie, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. one who yeah. played Rue. Um, and I feel like they're really like they're the role models that this young girl should be yeah. looking toward today because they are themselves and they are they are spreading the message that some of us older you know 
brown girls have already gotten, which yeah. is that. Yeah, that your hair is beautiful. It is. So, yeah, all that to say, they just need Casey to Casey Kwanzaa. Yes. Casey Kwanzaa, you're dope. You're fly. You're amazing. I hope she gets a lot of support. I hope this principal, I'm sure this principal, Tracy Barnes. Yes. Ooh. Ooh, we Tracy. Have eye on you. Yeah, don't let Black Twitter get a hold of it. Tracy will be dragged from Toronto to, um... You can't, you cannot get away with this kind of um, racism or, uh, in this case, what do you call that? Self- That's still racism, isn't is it? Is it self-hate? I don't self-hate. know. Self-hate. And, and now, I feel like everything is so public, so... Yeah. Good for you, Casey. Yes. Keep rocking that, bro. I think it's time for brown. I feel like I want to um, do brown break to the Highline song. I know when the brown break is time. Did you just call it the hotline? Oh, I thought, the, never mind. It is a hotline. Yes. Yeah, it's, like, um, <laughs> it's called, yeah, Drake's new song. In my when head, I, I keep calling it hot bling. I know when the hotline blinks. I know when brown break is time. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that song. I might need a brown break from hotline bling spoof. No. Like parodies. I need so more. many no, of them. No. <laughs> I, I saw one today. It was the best one. It was Anthony Hamilton. So you know Anthony Hamilton? From Blackish. No, no, Anthony oh, no, Hamilton. That's, An- that's Anthony Anderson. Yes. Oh, look at her getting her browns mixed up. That's not fair. It's the same first name. <laughs> that's so, legit. So he, Anthony Hamilton has that song like Charlene. He kind of has a very soulful, like old school sound to him. If you heard his song, you would know. So he and his crew did one, and it's like a gospel version. It is amazing. I think I have that saved on my Facebook links. Yes. I need to watch it later. It is amazing. Honestly, I just, I had church right before I got on the train to come here today. I was like, <laughs> yes, Lord. Maybe I got room for one more. <laughs> yeah. okay. So, you have a brown break? Yeah. Um, my, my brown break this week, I want to talk about stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need a break from stress. And this is, it's hard to take a break from it because it's kind of self-imposed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like anyone can relate to this. There's, there's so many different pressures you put on yourself to perform to the highest of your abilities at work, in your personal life, like yeah. as a daughter, a sister, if you're a mom, as a mom too. Um, and this week, I just, I'm, I'm pretty good about managing stress. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not so much. <laughs> I'm good at thinking I'm managing it for a long time until, like, enough little things happen to where I just, like, have a complete breakdown. Mm -hmm. And it's usually around the time when I'm working on a big story. Like, so this week I did a big story, another big story on Rush Card. We talked about that before. It's Russell Simmons' debit card. His customers lost hundreds of thousands of people lost access to their money in October. And weeks later, they still didn't have – a lot of people didn't have access. And still now. Yeah, even now. So I did a a big story. And I I guess I just put so much pressure on myself to do a good job and, Mm -hmm. like – other stuff's happening at work and like the holidays are coming up and I feel guilty about, you know, not going home for the holidays to see my family. Mm -hmm. And on Tuesday, I, I, or on Monday rather, I came to work and I literally just sat at my computer and tried to write all day. And I had this huge writer's block Mm -hmm. and I accomplished nothing but sitting there and like, like mentally berating myself. I kept switching places in my office and like trying to sit somewhere else and trying to like get the writer's block, you know, moved. And I had done all the writing and I had all these people, all these people emailing me from rush card customers. Like, Mm -hmm. can you please help me? Like, I'm hungry. Mm. My kids aren't fed. Like my bills are late. And I had this, I felt this huge responsibility to like go to bat for them and to like tell their story right and I went home Monday night and I felt terrible I, I woke up in the middle of the night stress dreams yeah uh, woke up in a crazy hot like sweat mm-hmm. like just couldn't sleep I was walking around my apartment got no sleep Tuesday same thing terrible writer's block I ended up staying I around midnight I finally started to write Tuesday night I ended okay. up staying up all night 
But in the process of staying up all night, I broke out in these stress hives. Wow. And I haven't got stress hives since I was in college, like around finals time. Mm -hmm. It's for these like red welts and my face gets really hot. And I'm just like, this is not a good way of managing stress. And I don't know. I I don't know how to deal with it. I don't have like an answer for managing stress. I feel like in my case, it... I, I I let my head get, get in the way of everything, and I just like put all this pressure on myself. And I don't know. I I I feel like the best thing I I don't I, I don't know. I don't have any good honestly. What I feel tips. I know sometimes I won't even know that I'm stressed because like the way for me like I won't break out in highs. I won't like you know I'll feel like everything's fine. I'm like everything's fine, but then I'm incredibly sleepy. Like if I'm just randomly sleepy during the day, like I can't even keep my eyes awake sleepy. I finally figured out that is how stress manifests with itself with me. It's like oh, really? I get so exhausted. It's like I can't even get up out of bed. I can't even. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I'm like, Tiffany, something's wrong. And I th- I forget how I figured out that that's what that was like my mechanism for my body dealing with stress. Like that's it's my me every day though. I'm You're always right? tired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I take naps regularly anyway. But like it's like a different kind of sleepy. It's a weary. Mm-hmm. It's a like oh, I'm bone tired. And I'm like, okay, something's wrong. You're not feeling. Something's just not, not right, and so usually that's how I'll know. Um, and things I don't start know. slipping. For me, things start slipping through the cracks. Last week, I I scheduled all these interviews, mm-hmm. like with people. Like I'm always working on different stories at the same time, and I've had interviews with people set up for today that I maybe not do the story till next week. Mm-hmm. And like I just kept forgetting about interviews, and people would call me, and I would ignore my phone, mm. and like everything just started falling apart. And the only person I talked to all week was my boyfriend. Like, I just, like, went home mm-hmm. and just was in this dark funk. And I'm out of it now. Like, the story is done. Thank God. But you're like, well, how do you? Does anybody have it? Because, honestly, if anyone out there I'm is, like, a, a therapist. I know. If any, And, honestly, when I was in college, I had experienced, like, a lot of stress. A, a friend of mine, she had been abused, like, sexually and raped. And she told me about it, like, when I think I was, like, 19 or something like that. And at the same time, like my house, when I where, where like my parents uh, lived because I was on campus, it they had a fire, really bad fire, so they were all like living in like trailers. It was just a lot going on at one time. And I remember that she every day she would call me, and I don't at the time you know you think you're an adult, you're like oh you know I I can counsel her, and so she we we would talk about it like every day for months until I remember being on campus feeling like I was losing my mind, and I'm like well, what's happening, and reading like the campus paper. And seeing, like, this little ad for, like, you want to see a counselor? And I'd never thought about it before. But literally, it was like, yes. (laughs) And I, like, ran to the counselor's office. And, you know, people of color are always like, I would never go to a therapist. And I'm like, well, at that time, I really felt like I was, it felt like I was breaking. There's no other way to explain. Like, I felt like, like, I was like a a vase that was glued together. And it was slowly pulling apart. And, like, if I didn't do something now, that I was going to break. And so I went and saw the counselor, and I didn't I didn't know what was wrong until I started talking to him, and I realized that he was like, Tiffany, you're taking on the stress of what happened to your friend and, like, reliving it as if it was me. I was, like, writing poetry about rape. And at one point, he was like, have you been raped? I'm like, I don't know. And he was like, you're taking on the emotions of, like, a victim, you know? And so he was like—and it was the hardest thing to tell her that she couldn't unload on me anymore because I, I couldn't—I had to—he was like, Tiffany, she needs a counselor. Like it doesn't mean that you can't be her friend, but she's she's coming to you, but you don't have you're not equipped 
to counsel her. She needs a therapist, you know? And so that was, like, really, really, really hard. But I had a really good counselor. I went to a counselor one during one. Like I said, stress hives. I haven't had those since college. Mm-hmm. I had a really rough, like, semester, and I, I went to a counselor. I loved her. Yeah. I, think her I think her name was Maria. I wish I could go back and find her because, um, I mean, I'll be honest. That was my first time going to see a – maybe my first – was it? I don't know. Whatever. Um, my first, like, real as on my own going to see mm. a counselor for that one semester, and she was tremendously helpful. Yeah. I just saw her once a week, and we just talked Me things too. out. And, you know, then I graduated, and then I moved out of the country, and then I came to New York, and it's been really hard. I've been, I've been trying to find a good, like, one. A good it therapist. Is, or, it's critical to find a good therapist. Like, it's only one other friend of mine that knows that goes to a therapist regularly. And another friend just hit me the other day, and he was like, uh, I think I need to see a therapist. And I said, mm-hmm. you should. And I wish... Where do you start? I went to, like... Started with my insurance company, and there's a bajillion different yeah. people. And then I started emailing some people, and one woman I was like trying to work my schedule, but she only had she only had appointments at like 3 p.m. Mm. And because you know everyone wants to go before work and yeah. after, she's like, "Can you come at 2:30 on Wednesdays?" And I was like, "I don't know, I'll try." And then she's like, "Actually, I'm going maternity leave, and I'm not taking any new clients mm. anymore." And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> this is like wasting my life." So um, maybe just asking with friends, like you know, like yeah, you know, asking. It's expensive too. If you, I mean, is. my insurance covers it, but I have to go through my network. Um, so stress is my brown break and thanks for letting me unload and I'll, I'll, I'll update you guys if I find a therapist and it starts working because mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that no one talks about. Yeah. So I'll let you guys know. We gonna talk about I'm going to really try this week. I'm going to find a therapist. I'm going to go. I'm going to do something. Yeah, so my brown break is pretty quick, and I'm sure some of my fellow speakers are going to give me the side-eye shade, but I don't care. Here we go. I'm taking a brown break from telesummits. For those of you who are in the self-help field and the speaker field, you might know what I'm talking about as far as telesummits. If not, this is what it is. It's usually uh, one individual, they're usually like a life coach or something like that. They will ask other experts in their field to do some pre-taped recording and speaking about their expertise. In my case, as the budgetista, they'll ask me to talk about personal finance. And then they'll pick a launch date and then every day for anywhere from you know, two days to maybe five, six, seven days, they'll share one of these videos or they'll share one of these recorded sessions with their audience and the audience gets to listen and gets in some just, I don't know, just some empowerment for like seven days straight, right? So at first, Telesummit started around last year in 2014. They seemed so great. So I got a lot of requests and I was like, yes, this is great. Then people started overdoing them. It seems like there is a telesummit every single week, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> people, do people pay money for these? So no, they're they're typically free to listen um, when when the when the recording comes out. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the telesummit, they will um, package them like all of like the talks, and then they'll sell them. Like oh, you can listen oh, to I it. That, yeah. And so, and I, I remember the first time I found that out because the person who invited me on my first telesummit did not tell me that. And I remember being like, so you're selling our interview, but am I making any money? Like you didn't, I don't mind you selling to make money. I get it. But at the same time, I would like to be told that so I can make a decision. And so, yeah, so that kind of turned me off to the whole telesummit wah, thing. Wah, wah. I know. So it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do a telesummit. You shouldn't. But Maybe do a, you know, have you seen Blab? Yeah, I'm oh, into yeah. Blab. Blab is like a fun, relaxed. I've seen some of our some of our um, PF blogger friends have done some cool Blab. PF is personal finance for those of you and not in the know. 
You are challenging their intelligence. <laughs> I figured they can figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, so Blab is like Blab is like um, periscoping, which is a live streaming app where you mm-hmm. can whatever wherever you are, you can periscope, but anyone can tune in. And Blab is like you can conference call in other people. It's like a group chat. It's very and cool. one and there's some, and it's free and it's simple and it's right there and it's, it's I love it because it's there and you see it and and then it ends and there's no like there's no like um, you know pay for this or there's you know at the end of everything and I think it's like a relaxed casual way of. Mm-hmm. Maybe getting advice from a group of people. I just think that pe- I want I want like more speakers and stuff to be more creative in how to reach their audiences because mm-hmm. I think that it's been done so much so that it's not as effective. You know, um, it's become like almost like a fad. So I'm just like, let's move on from telesummit. Sorry, my speaker friends. I know you're like, I hate you, Tiffany. I'm just giving you the four one one, the tea. The streets have been whispering that they don't want any more telesummit. So delete Tiffany's email. She will not be speaking <laughs> in your telesummit. Done. <laughs> Okay, guys, we have a very special guest today. Very special. I'm super excited. Probably like our top five like favorite people in the personal finance space today. Um, I'd say top three, but whatever. Top three, top two, top <laughs> our, our top one person. <laughs> we have the brilliant, the beautiful, the amazing, the amazing, wonderful Patrice C. Washington. Got to get the C in there. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> you guys are in such like in for such a treat. Honestly, I've been following Patrice on her journey since I don't know. I think maybe. Since like 2010 is when she's I been at it for what over a decade now, Patrice, right? Oh gosh, yes. Not to you know put your age out there, <laughs> but you have an amazing, <laughs> an amazing history. Since 2003, you've been a you're a nationally recognized best selling author mm-hmm. of the book series Real Money Answers, Check. and which is amazing. You also have a recurring segment on none other than the Steve Harvey Show. Check, check. Might have heard about it. Yeah, just a little shout. Just a little something. <laughs> so radio and on, on the TV show, right, Patrice? Yep. Right, yeah. And featured pretty much on the, every media outlet out there, NBC, Black Enterprise, Huffington Post, Upscale, and again on the Steve Harvey Show. So we could not be happier to have you here, Patrice. Thanks so much for coming on Brown Ambition. Yeah, thank you. So excited. I'm so excited. And it feels good to move up from like top 10 to top five to top three to top one. <laughs> All in one in conversation. A, like, all right, in a matter of seconds. Like, I, I'm winning today. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> So what I loved about you, I, I heard you give a talk a couple of years ago where you talked about how you weren't always the money maven. Yeah. You had some pretty humble beginnings when it came to dealing with your finances. So I wanted to start off by just asking you to talk about that, you know, your early days and some of the mistakes you made. Oh, gosh, just some of the mistakes. I don't even <laughs> know where to, to start. <laughs> well, um, you know, I always say that all those accolades are great, and I really appreciate them. It's been a real blessing to be able to share my message, um, because my hope is really to move the masses from debt management to money mastery. Mm-hmm. And as I go out speaking all over the country and doing all these interviews and, you know, just getting to do what I do, what I love to do, I always meet people who say, but you don't understand what it's like. Or you don't you don't understand what it means to choose between, you know, having to pay your light bill and wanting to save or wanting to invest. And I'm like, I don't know. No, sweetie. I know very well. Let me let me tell you a little story. And so really, I mean, I didn't grow up hearing about money. I've heard Tiffany share her story and I'm always so impressed by her dad and and what he imparted to her. But I didn't have any of that. And so um, but was still able to go on to college and started in real estate at 19 years old as a sophomore in college, became a real estate and mortgage broker at 21 as a senior in college, actually started my business while in school, um, 
which has its pros and cons, but that's another story. <laughs> um, if you have financial aid, there's a, there's a con there. But I um, started this really great business during my senior year in college. Um, and it was a real estate and mortgage company, loved you know, helping people budget and get their credit in order and all those things because it was going to move them towards purchasing a home, which is how I could make money. So, of course, I was super passionate about getting people, you know, on the path. Um, but at the same time, there were pieces to that puzzle beyond budgeting and credit that I really didn't know about. And so while I was helping everyone else, the recession hit um, around circa like 2007, 2008, and um, I lost everything. I lost everything. So here I am, this little girl from South Central Los Angeles, went to college, started a business, thought I did everything the right way and still find myself flat broke with everybody else. Um, and you I had a family at the time too, right? It wasn't just you. It wasn't just me. I had just gotten married. I had spent 10 weeks in the hospital on bed rest mm -hmm. to have my daughter, um, who was still born 10 weeks prematurely, which is a big deal. You know, for those of us who are mothers out there, um, you know that every week counts. And so my daughter was born at 30 weeks, which is extremely early. Um, and so in the process of all of that, the real estate market was crashing. You know, I had tenants in my income properties that weren't paying rent. I owed all this money. And at the same time, I was racking up a $400,000 medical bill. Wow. And um, by the time I got out of the hospital, everything around me had changed. It's like the whole world changed in a matter of about nine to 10 weeks. And I had a decision to make. Am I going to worry about car notes and mortgages, or am I going to take care of this baby who's 10 weeks early, who needs my undivided attention at this point? And, um, you know, and I chose, I chose my family. I remember and you telling a story about how at one point your rock, rock bottom was when you were counting out change to buy milk for your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I had built a seven figure business and like, it seemed like overnight I was scraping up change to feed my daughter. Were you it, and your husband in the business together? We were. We were. So and everything you had was tied up. Everything. You know when people say, like, um, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So we always thought, like, oh, well, we own investment property, and we flip homes, and we have this company, and we have an escrow company, and we do this, and we do that. But all of it was connected to real estate. And so when that bubble burst, we felt it on every level, and it was only so long that we could juggle. We tried to juggle for about a year, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and, you know, that expression and yes. just trying to <laughs> shift things. And, okay, I made it just in time. And you guys, honestly, it was exhausting. Yeah. It got exhausting. Here I have this little baby I'm trying to take care of and figure out this whole motherhood thing. And then I went through, like, a period of postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. So as much as I loved my baby, I went through this phase where I was like, what am I supposed to do with her? Okay. Like, what is, you know, like I prayed for her and I waited for her and I, you know, mm -hmm. but I, it didn't come naturally to me to be the doting mother. It just didn't. And so there was so many different things going on. And, and I know like when people have their back up against the wall with finances, it's not just that, like there's so many other things in life that happened. And, and I was just overwhelmed. When did and you I, turn the corner? Like when did it finally like, yeah, yeah. I just, found myself, literally, we had moved from California to New Orleans, um, Louisiana, to rehab the last of the properties that we owned, hoping that we could squeeze some money out of those. 
Well, the market kept tanking and we didn't squeeze anything out of that. But I ended up in a strange city, <laughs> in a foreign city to me with no friends and no family and a, a little bitty baby. Um, and just the three of us, my husband and, and Reagan and I. And um, I just found myself on the bathroom floor, cry literally crying, bawling, ugly sobbing. Like, what did I do? Why, why, why? Like, mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do with this? And um, I always say, like, I tell people I reach for my Bible and I opened it to this scripture like that I had read several times before. But, you know, you, you know, things hit you a different way at a different time, you know. So I had seen it before, but it didn't mean anything to me. And uh, it was Proverbs seventeen sixteen. It basically said, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? Like and for the first time for me, what hit me was I did really well, really early which leads you to believe that you're actually smart. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> right, because you're in your early 20s at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. even imagine yeah. all that responsibility on your shoulders and then to see it all crash. Yeah, you know, I have a, a business woman. with 16 employees. I own 13 pieces of property. Wow. You know, I've been in the hospital. I have this babe, this newborn baby who's teeny tiny. I mean, my daughter was three pounds. Mm -hmm. You know, people would mm -hmm. see her. And like, oh, is that a doll in there? We're like, no, that's a child. She's alive. She's so like, beautiful. Now. I love seeing your pictures on Facebook. Uh, and stuff. Thank you. Yeah, she's eight years old now. Um, love of my life. But, you know, during that time, um, it's like, man, it, it hit me like you thought you were too smart to ask for help. And that has been the thing that has been the biggest lesson to me, like, I like to understand that you need coaching, you need mentoring, you need help. You need to talk to people who have been there, done that, who are transparent enough to share their journey and be real about it, you know? And I never sought that out. I didn't even realize that that was a thing until reading that verse in that moment. And so a couple weeks later it came to me that, you know, just because I lost all my money, my mind wasn't bad, <laughs> you know? Like what I did to get it, I just knew I could do it again. So... I said, you know what, God, I dedicate, you know, my life to you. And I'm like, this mission for me is to help people not do what I did. So I created Seek Wisdom, Find Wealth, which is my company today in 2009. And Seek Wisdom, Find Wealth is all about helping people not just budget and credit and all that stuff because it's great, but you need the wisdom to maintain it. And wisdom comes from being able to just talk to people. To, wisdom comes from being able to sit and listen to something like Brown Ambition <laughs> and like learning, you know what I'm saying? And learning from other people's mistakes. Who were some That's, of the people you reached out to in the beginning? You said that you sought wisdom first from mentors and, and other people that you looked up to. Who were some of those people that were helpful to you? Oh, let's see. At that time, it was there were a lot of more so like my pastors, like people back home that were, that used to be my pastors. I had a great mentor named George Thompson, mm -hmm. and he was actually um, the the minister of stewardship at the church that I attended. And so he was the first person that I saw do what I do today, like stand up and talk about money at a like at a church service. And I had never seen anything like that. I was about twenty two years old. And, um, I reached out to him. I'm like, you know, I had to humble myself because all everyone knew was that Gerald and I, my husband and I had built this real estate empire and everything was roses, but then, you know, everything hit rock bottom and we like got ghosts, you know, you're not out at parties anymore. You know, mm -hmm. hey, I mean, gas or lights, you know, it's like mm -mm, no gas to go across town. Not about to do that. You know? So we just disappeared. 
and people didn't know to where. They didn't know what happened with Reagan. You know, no one knew anything. And so I started to reach out to just the people like George Thompson, um, who had blessed me at different points in my life, reaching out to my pastor. Um, you know, Steve Harvey has been a mentor of mine since I was in college. I used to work for him as well. Around the same time I was in real estate, I also worked on his uh, radio show when it was just in L.A., and, um, so that's that connection. Know. Let's talk about Steve. Yeah. <laughs> How does one wind up as Steve's go-to money maven, money expert? Cause that's amazing. And, that and is you're, amazing. you're doing, you're speaking to such a, um, people that I think really could use someone like you telling them, you know, inspiring them to manage their finances. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's all been so random. <laughs> like That's the best like, kind. <laughs> yeah. Like it's all been so random. So I'll tell you guys like really quickly when I even met him, when I was in college, it was because I heard him on the radio and literally to myself, I was, I was the vice president of black student union at USC. And I said to myself, like, he sounds like he has money. Like I'm going to go. They said, do you want to come to the live studio audience? So I was like, yeah, I'm going to the live studio audience and I'm going to ask Steve Harvey for some money for black student union at USC. He didn't go there, but of course he cares, you know, whatever 19 year old logic I had at the time. And, um, and I wrote this letter on, oh, no, actually, you had to fax in if you wanted to come. You guys, I've jammed their fax machine. Wow. I've faxed like 70 times. This is fax today, right? Brown and ambition. The guy, and, like, you feel me? Like, the guy called and he was like, well, you have to come because you jammed the fax machine. Like, he was so <laughs> mad at me. He's my friend now. But it's like he was so mad at me at that time. So I made it into the live studio audience. And as soon as I walked in, they were like, no soliciting. And I'm like, they must be talking to these other 30 or so people because I came here to get this money and I'm not leaving without it. And I'm very clear about that. So at the end, people kept like leaving and I kept letting them go in front of me like, oh, no, you go ahead. I'm good. And taking a step back and taking a step back and taking a step back. And then finally, the guy who was over the audience was like, you know, what are you doing? Like, why are you still here? Are you trying to ask for something are you, no, he said, are you soliciting? And I'm like, I wouldn't call it soliciting. Let me tell you who I am. And I started on this whole thing and um, told him that I went to SC and he goes, oh, I used to be the Chicano student union president at USC. Hold on. Let me, let me see what I can do. Love like I was blown. And my girl who was the president left. Like I was the vice president. She was president and she got scared and walked out. Clearly she needed house. to be impeached. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she maybe had more to lose. (laughs) (laughs) So she left. So I'm up there. And um, long story short, it ended up being there. There ended up being a relationship there. They just thought I was funny. Like, this girl is crazy because I kept coming back asking for money. And eventually I asked for 500. They gave me 2000. Then started the relationship. Um, And then they asked if I wanted to be an intern, which I turned down because it was unpaid. But then... (laughs) got bored and needed something to do. So I said, okay, I'll do it. My sophomore year in college. And, um, and so that started a 15 year relationship that I have with Steve Harvey now. Now, how I got put on as his money expert for everything, really because he watched me do the work. Mm. It, you know, he called me, he had the producer of the radio show reach out to me about two months before Real Money Answers for Every Woman came out the first time when I self-published in 2014. She reached out to me around November of 2013 and said, hey, when does your book come out? And I told her the date, like January 8th, I think it was. And she said, oh, okay. And I was like, well, that was strange. 
and didn't th- I mean, you know, they're strange people over there. So I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> no, they're all like family. But um, so I didn't think anything of it. I was like, whatever. And then she calls back maybe a couple hours later. She says, Harvey wants to um, help you de- debut the book. Amazing. And I just I was like, oh, my gosh, like I've never asked for anything except for that five hundred dollars early on. I hadn't asked for anything ever. And so I went on the first time um, the day the book came out. You know, we instantly made it an Amazon bestseller. I was so, you know, just thrilled with the opportunity. I was more than grateful over the moon and didn't think anything of it. And then they said, we got 800 plus emails from people who wanted to know your name or the name of the book or asking questions. So you have to come back. And I went back about three weeks later, same response. And then I went back maybe two weeks after that, same response. And then he said, oh, hell, just do it every week. (laughs) I love that. But, you know, you said something so, so, so powerful. Because someone could look at you and be like, well, yeah, she's gorgeous and she's this and she's. No, you said that you did the work. Mm -hmm. That that's like such a such an important thing, I think, to to just really impress upon that you did the work. This is a 15-year relationship. This wasn't just some fluke, you know? Right. Success. Mm-hmm. And you know what is really important for me um, to let people know as well? Because they think like, oh, well, you know Steve Harvey so clearly. No, not at all. Lots of people know Steve Harvey. Mm-hmm. People know folks. But the thing is, he told me on a commercial break that second time I was on, he said, you know why I, always, why I would always help you? And I was like, no, sir. You know, like, why is that? He said, because you never asked. Mm. He said, you never asked. People come in and ask. They don't have their stuff together. They're not on their social media. They haven't written something of quality. They're not doing videos. They're not out there speaking. They're not doing anything. And they want me to put them on and create some type of Oprah effect. It means nothing if you get the opportunity, but you haven't built a strong foundation. None Mm. of that means anything. So before... Even the Steve Harvey opportunity came. I was already writing for Black Enterprise. I, I was already writing for Huffington Post. I was already writing every week for Hello Beautiful for like two years. I was already out there speaking. I was already doing YouTube videos. Like, so if he could look and see like, oh, Patrice is out here. Like, she's she's doing her thing. Let me give her a hand up and not a hand out. Uh, we just mentioned that last. I mean, I'm so glad you said that. Me and Mandy. <laughs> yes. was, was that my brown break? Yeah, it was asking for people who want something for you without giving you Yes, like asking for help yeah. versus a handout. Like help is different from a handout. And yeah. I'm sure now, especially you, with you doing, you know, so well, but sometimes my emails, I'm like, come on, have you put in any Girl, work? <laughs> Girl <laughs> Tiffany, that we have to talk about that another day. We have to talk about it. It's like, I don't mind, and Steve says this, I don't mind, you know, teaching you to fish, but I'm not going to hand you a fish sandwich. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like people want you to give them a fully cooked, fully prepared, yes. not up situation. It's like, ma'am, absolutely not. You know? What about and- the women out there who maybe feel like they are doing the work, um, but don't feel like they're getting the recognition? Do you have any advice for them or something you could offer and, and maybe that made you different or stand out? You know what? I look for God winks all along the way. God winks. I, I look for God winks. I look for little little notes that just say you're on the right path. You're, you're on the right path. You're moving in the right direction. And that doesn't always come from huge recognition. You know, early on when I first started blogging in 2009, 2010, like, you know, nobody knew who I was. And I was, I was just blogging and hoping that my mama read it. And half the time she didn't either, (laughs) you know, I'd be like, did you like what I wrote this week? She's like, ah, 
Another one, you know, <laughs> right. <my> mom says. <laughs> <laughs> didn't get a chance to go over, you know? And so, you know, it was one day when I didn't, I was like, I felt defeated, you know, for like a period. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't even know how this blog thing works. I wasn't on social media yet. And I was just joining Twitter. You know, I was just trying to figure it out. And um, a random guy emails me and says, I hope you're okay. You haven't blogged in a while. And I said, oh, my gosh, I don't even know him. Who is he? Where did he come from? You know, like I had no idea. And just that note to me, let me know that you're making a difference, even if it's for one person. And that was my God wink to keep going. And I could tell you today, like if he hadn't emailed me, I don't know where I'd be today Mm -hmm. because his email encouraged me to keep, you know, to keep blogging every week to start sharing with other people, to read, you know. So I look for those little things. It's always, it's not always going to be the big recognition. You know, now more people know me, but five years ago, nobody did. But that that didn't mean that, you know, I could take a break. I thought it did. Like, uh, you know, this is not working out, but there's always someone you're blessing. And you have, you know, I always ask people too, like, what are your motives? Like, what are your motives for doing what you do? Because is it truly to impact the people or is it to get the recognition of man? The recognition is great, but it's a byproduct of your mission to impact other people. Agreed. Somebody for somebody out there right now, that's your God wing, just in case you didn't get it. Get it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if you're working really hard and not getting to where you want to be, maybe you're not doing it for the right reasons. That Mm -hmm. could be a factor. Or what you're doing maybe isn't what you really want to be doing deep down. Or or what you should be doing. You know, I meet a lot of people who are you're an author, speaker, coach because that looks popular. Like, because everybody is an author, speaker, coach right now, you know, like in social media, that's what you see. (laughs) You know, it's like in social media, that's what you see, you know, but are you really doing the work that you were called to do? People ask me like, you know, why I chose this. I really didn't choose this. I don't believe that I chose it. I believe that it's a calling, you know? And so sometimes I think we focus on what looks popular instead of focusing on what's truly our purpose. And, and then we get lost in trying to do all of those other things, even for those people who feel like they're somewhat, you know, they found success or they've gotten recognition in what they're doing, but they're coveting what somebody else has going on and they want to do what somebody else has. That might not be your lane. You know what I'm saying? So you got a question like, am I truly doing this because I'm called to do it and because I truly care about the people that I serve or am I doing it for the recognition? And, you know... Well, I want to I want to just interrupt because you do have kind of a big deal happening right now. Yeah, your does. your book, Real Woman, or sorry, Real Money Answers for Women, is coming out. When is it coming out? Real Money Answers for Every Woman comes back out January nineteenth, twenty sixteen, and I'm super excited. Just in time for New Year's resolutions. Yes. Yeah, I'm super, super excited because when I saw Patricia, I think you posted, I don't know if it was last year when you got the contract with the major publisher, but you posted like this beautiful story. I think it was about your grandmother. Yeah. And I was like tearing up at the, in in front of my computer, like, go ahead, Patricia. Uh, You know what? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that means so much to me um, because, you know, I always share that my grandmother didn't have a sixth grade education um, and was basically illiterate. And she passed away in January 2013. And it was at the time that I was writing Real Money Answers for Every Woman. And again, it was one of those moments where I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to dwell on my grandmother's passing, you know, because I was so busy 
being busy and I lived out of state and I didn't get to spend time with her the way that I wanted to, um, like that last year. And so there was a lot of guilt and I was just feeling some kind of way. And my grandmother came to me in a dream shortly after she passed and was yelling at me like she often does. I'm, I'm Caribbean. I'm Belizean. I and didn't so my know grandmother, that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Belizean. And my grandmother was yelling at me with this thick accent, like telling me basically to get my life in order. And she said all these things and I couldn't quite put it together. And I um, talked to someone in our family who interprets dreams. And she said, basically, she's saying you need to finish whatever work of art or creative body you're working on. And I was like, work of art? What is that? Creative body? And I'm like, oh, my book? And she was telling me in the dream that it would change lives and it would change my life. And the book came out January, the next year, January 2014, um, a couple of days before her passing, her, the, the anniversary of her passing. And it did. It totally changed my life. It's what, you know, got me to the Steve Harvey show, which has gotten me to so many other things. Um, thousands of women have reached out to me, literally talking, you know, telling me about their testimonies and, and how it's blessed them and how it's restored their relationship with siblings or their, you know, their spouses and all this stuff. I did 18,000 copies. So self-published. Awesome. And then January, 2015, I got the deal with HarperCollins. They reached out to me about wanting to re-release the book under their label and make it available everywhere, making it available everywhere books are sold. And, and again, so, you did the uh, work first and mm -hmm. the publisher reached out to you. After. Yeah. So January is a good month for you. <laughs> it, it is. It's, you know what? These last few years since January 2012, it has been working out to be a very good month for me. I look forward to January's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about the book. Yes. I think what I love most about the idea of the book is that you're not just talking about budgeting, well, that's important, and how to save money and how to, you know, coupon and stuff. You really emphasize what we love talking about, Making which is money. how to make more, earn more, yes. ask for more, yes. get more out of life. So talk to us about some of the, some of the advice you have for women in, in your book and, and why you're really focusing on building wealth. Yeah, you know, just from a byproduct of being out there and speaking and, and receiving people's questions, I hear like probably eight times out of 10, people say, well, I don't do that because I don't earn enough. And it just came up constantly to the point where I was like, you know, when I think about a lot of the books that I even read on personal finance, there's a lot of information about what to do once you have it. But the gap there is, well, how do I get it? You know? And so I dedicated an entire section to earning more money in the book. And it's not just about entrepreneurship, because I realize that everyone is not called to be an entrepreneur. And, and to your earlier question, Mandy, that might be why some of us are not getting where we want to go. Because this ain't this life ain't for you, boo. <laughs> Thank you for saying <laughs> for that. For real. Not everyone's meant to have their own business. Exactly. It's OK. You know, it's like it's like a craze, you know, and it's. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really struggle with, quote unquote, experts who make people feel that if they're not out there hustling and, you know, doing their own thing, that they're doing something wrong. Like I employ people. Yeah. I need them to you know what I'm saying? I need them to run what I'm trying to do. Everybody is not supposed to be their own boss. They're just not. And that's OK, because you can serve in a different way and still fulfill your purpose. And so in the book, I talk about workplace wisdom, you know, so. If, if your thing is, I need to earn more money while I'm, you know, on someone else's dime or in someone else's job, can we talk about the fact that, you know, if you want to raise, you should probably get to work on time? Like, can we? Is that too much to? <laughs> no, that's not too much to ask. <laughs> too much to ask, you know, like, or, you know, you want the promotion, you, you got to ask for it, you know, mm -hmm. 
And it can't be an emotional ask, ladies. It can't be like, well, I feel like, and you know, because you see me come early, you know, I leave late, you know, <laughs> you I got kids, kids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got kids to feed. I, I, you know, I got bills due. Listen, all of that is true, and and we, hey, we support you, we honor you. However, that's not a good case to present to your boss or superior or supervisor or whomever, right? So, I in the book, I talk about strategies for building your brag folder. You know, uh, what, what value are you bringing to the table? It can't just be about what you feel like, you know, it has to be about the research. You have to quantify what you've been able to do because at the end of the day, business is not all about emotions. It's about the bottom line. And are you adding to the bottom line? Are you, are you saving the company money? What are you doing? Are you even in the right position? Does it really serve you? Are you really doing, um, the work that you feel called to do, or do you just have a job? There's nothing wrong with with having a job. It's do you have the right job for you? Because I realize that when people are unfulfilled in their careers, usually that leads them to mismanage their finances. Because I meet so many women who are quick to go to the mall on a Friday because they're frustrated with everything that they've been through all week, you know? And then we get into justifying our purchases like, oh, I work hard. I deserve it. Oh, they don't work me this week. Oh, no. That them working you this week doesn't justify you buying, you know, those pumps that you can't afford, you know, like those, those two things don't go together. So instead of trying to justify what you don't like about where you are, let's work on putting you where you really belong so that you can prioritize and then find prosperity. So you said um, January, what day again? 19th. Ooh, January 19th, ladies go and get it. Honestly, like, so for those of y'all who are listening, you know I'm the budgetista, and so many of the women that I that work with me or follow me or what they love them some Patrice. They're like, Do you know Patrice? I'm like, You want me to get your autograph? <laughs> Hold on, let me call her. Yes, I got her number on speed dial. <laughs> but no, honestly, they love you. They're attracted to your your obviously, you know, your financial savvy, but also your genuineness, just your you give it to them straight. So I'm so excited for this like second coming of this amazing book and I just know that it's going to do well, and I can't wait for your challenge. So so this is kind of, I guess we can announce it here. Even Manny doesn't Ooh, know. Yeah. What? So for those I'm of you who. <laughs> wait, do we need to do a setup? This is like breaking news. <laughs> yeah, it's breaking So for anybody who follows me, The Budget Needs Online, every January, well, starting this January, I do this thing called the Live Richer Challenge, and we have about 20,000 women signed up already. We'll have 30,000 by January. And Patrice and I were just talking last week, and she's doing her challenge in February. What's the name of your challenge again? The Earn More Money Challenge for Women. So the Earn More Money Challenge for Women. So we're going to partner because I thought this doesn't make sense. So many women need. So I'm going to be teaching you how to save and how to start collecting more abundance and then feed you right into the Earn More Money Challenge for Women by Patrice. So we're partnering. So I just think it'll be awesome. I'm (laughs) so excited. Yes. so excited. It's like uh, peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. Peanut yes. butter and jelly. <laughs> I'm like doing twerking in the theater. I wish you could see me. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just can't wait for you guys to see what that kind of like collaboration looks like because it's just really important, one, for women of color to collaborate. You know, Patrice yes. and I, although like the overarching goal is the same, to help women live better, um, 
that still we do things in different ways. And so you'll find something differently for me through the Live Richer Challenge and something different from Patrice. And I just think that there's not enough brown faces in this space. And, yes. you know, and we and the thing is, we're really supportive of each other, but we're trying to shift from just being supportive to being strategic. Yeah. And just like even me and Mandy doing the podcast together, this is a strategic alliance. So it's not just me saying, oh, I like him because I've known Mandy, what, like two years before this or something? Four, technically. <laughs> well, that's okay. You don't remember our anniversary. <laughs> well, that's why we did have a friend anniversary. <laughs> and so, but still, you know, so it's like, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, I like Mandy to being like, oh, well, let's do a podcast together. And right. so, you know, just learning that in this space of women of color, like, how can we do things and in ways that is strategic so we can, like, in just a a technical way, move each other forward. So I'm just really excited to partner and do that. So I, I am too. And I thank you so much for your heart, Tiffany, and your willingness to, to be strategic in that way and to partner and to be an example um, to women in every industry, not just in an industry where, you know, we're, you know, few and far between, but just in every industry as women, you know, we just have to dispel these myths that women don't like women mm-hmm. or that women can't work together, or that we can't support each other and figure it out. Like, that's such a crock. I love women. Like, and I love, you know, rah, 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 and cheering you on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, um, but we just got to do better. And I'm glad to be an example of that along with you. And you guys have been an example to me. So I appreciate that as well. That's so exciting. Congrats. Okay. So where can we send people to find out about these challenges? Is there like one website? What's, where can we send folks? Yes, they're going to go to ICanEarnMore.com. ICanEarnMore.com, mm-hmm. okay. And then if you want to sign up for the Live Richer Challenge, it's LiveRicherChallenge.com. And the good thing is, is that as you take the challenge, like in my challenge, I'll be pushing you toward Patrice's challenge. And then in her, in her challenge, she'll be throwing people back. So even if yep. you miss one, you'll be able to take it. Like it just will be a cycle that will continue throughout the year. So let me play um, the uh, interested listener. Okay. How much does it cost? Oh, it's free. Oh, <laughs> totally complimentary. Yeah. <laughs> free 99. That's my favorite price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where can they get your book? So when it comes out, where can they get their, your book? Where can they find it? What website? Well, I'm, I'm so excited to say that you'll be able to find the book everywhere books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> so go and target and act a fool if you don't get it. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but it'll be available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. You can always go to realmoneyanswers.com and there'll be a link there and I'll link you to all the retailers that I know of. Um, but yeah, it'll be everywhere books are sold That's January awesome. 19th. Oh, and if you pre-order, then I have some amazing freebies. I I am giving more away some freebies, stuff. more like free it. stuff. So not just a challenge, but you'll be able to take my Mindset and Money Masterclass, which is a four-part um, class that teaches you a, a lot of the same things. You know, you you will be so financially fierce by the time 2016 is over. Like you don't you don't even understand between <laughs> Tiffany and I. And going to Yahoo and reading Mandy stuff, you'll be set. Mm-hmm. So even I'm getting excited for January. I'm like, oh, the new year. Just co- it's just like cold winter time. But now I'm like, maybe I'll do something. <laughs> Let me get me a raise or promotion. <laughs> no, but this is just going to be awesome. So where can they find you on social media? I am everywhere at Seek Wisdom PCW. That's Seek Wisdom PCW. That's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope. 
Oh, and Periscope. Well, we're going to link to all your pages Mm -hmm. on the blog post on brownambitionpodcast.com. So you'll find notes from her interview, links to her website, to where you can find the book, where you can find her on social. Patrice, thank you so much for coming on Brown Ambition. It's been amazing chatting with you. It has. Thank you guys so much for having me. I feel so special. You guys are like a top-rated, you know, podcast. Okay. Oh yeah, we're we're yeah, we're You're big time. I'm getting there. Hang on. It's a big deal. I'm happy to be a part. <laughs> for wins win 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 so i'll go first please do i was confused because usually you go all i do is win i know win, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, i have to come up with other so if you have any other win songs I tweet like me change tweet me at the ba podcast because i want to know some other win songs that we could sing hopefully songs in the hip-hop realm just because it's a little jazzy you know mm-hmm. um so my win is miss patty labelle so patty labelle has these sweet potato pies that she's selling mm-hmm. at the Mart, the Walmart. The Walmart, okay. And I had never, you know, I, I knew Patty LaBelle was known for cooking and Southern cooking. Is she? I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be really, she has a great, like, um, cookbook, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she cooks really well. And so she has these new pies, which I had never heard of, until a friend of mine posted this video and tagged me in it of this young man named James Wright Chanel. And I'm pretty sure Chanel is not his last name. <laughs> but anyway. Um, and James does this video where he is trying her new um, Patty LaBelle pie. Patty pie. And he goes in. It is so hilarious, but so compelling. It already has nearly 8 million views on his first review of Patty's pies and nearly uh, 3 million views on his second review. He's and giving her so much free press. So much I feel free like pr- she should pay him commission. What? Don't you know? I think the last two days they sold 2.5 million pies at $4 a pop. Holy shice. And they've sold out of Walmart's um, nationwide. And so, yeah, and all of this, and yeah, I just, he he got a phone call from Patty, but I'm like, oh, Patty needs to cut that check. So we're going to play some of the review. So James, in this uh, clip I'm about to play, he has just taken a bite of the pie, and he's about to go off. Patty. If anybody know Patty Bell, tell her in the video. Patty. <laughs> Whoa. Bitch, I turned into Patty. You turned into Patty after eating this. <laughs> when you've been blessed. Is it that good? <laughs> so he is eating mm. his pie and singing mm. Patty LaBelle songs. Mm. Whoa, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. We get so it. James <laughs> is just. <laughs> He's starting to see Lady Marmalade. So oh he is. Like, in love with these pies. And his conviction about the patty pies, hashtag patty pie, P-A-T-T-I. It's like a three-minute video. It is. But you I, feel like he's not even, he, he's so in his head in the moment and the emotion of mm-hmm. the pie, he's, like, forgotten the camera. Yes, there. he has. He is just <laughs> eating those pies. And so it is hilarious. You should definitely Google uh, James Wright patty pies because you will get your giggly life. Um, and that is my win. My win is for patty and selling, he's getting literally millions of dollars in free press. And selling out of pies nationwide. And, you know, they actually came for Patty a little bit. And I love her. If y'all know Miss Patty, she's not the one. 
You don't come for her unless she sends for you. So they said, well, did you make all these pies individually? And she said, did little Debbie make all her pies? Did McDonald's make all his sandwiches? Hell no. And she was like, so why are you worried about if I made all these pies? Don't be foolish. Yes, Patty, gather them. And so. At least it's it's her recipe and not like Popeye's chicken where they had like that, you know, the old Southern black lady as like the spokesperson for the chicken. But she's not. I mean, I'm sure it's like an old white dude running things. (laughs) Exactly. So, yes, that is my win for the week. Patty Pies. Wish I lived near Walmart. (laughs) Um, that's hilarious. Uh, so real quick, I wanted to, I have a couple of wins, but just a real quick one impromptu. I wanted to say to the class of students and faculty at Mizzou, University of Missouri, who last week um, mm-hmm. successfully protested um, against the systemic history of, of racism and racist acts at this college. Um, students had been through hell and, didn't, and a lot of black students felt like they weren't being safe and that their president wasn't doing enough to um, wasn't doing enough to speak out against acts of racism, blatant racism. Mm-hmm. I think the most the most recent event to really get things kicked off and really inflame things was well. First of all, it was it all kind of stemmed from Ferguson last August, yes. and then this was like a, a slowly simmering sort of tension, and then finally someone apparently wrote a swastika in feces, feces yes. on a dorm room door or wall or something like that, and the president was dead silent. So they protested. You guys have probably heard by heard about it by now. So um, I won't go into all the particulars. One of the students. I think his name is Jonathan, Jonathan Belt. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm getting his name right. Um, he went on a hunger strike. Hunger strike. I think he went a, a week, week, yes, or eight days without food. Finally, they succeeded. The president um, was let go, and I think a couple of faculty members for like related but not directly related um, uh, issues have been let go, and it just sort of shows the power of activism on college campuses. And um, and I and I hope you know it, it won't fix everything. Yeah. You know, the president honestly, they they were right to point out his role as a leader in setting the tone for that sort of um, those sorts of actions. But um, you know, I don't know if it'll stop those from ever happening. Yeah, but, but at least it puts people on notice. That's one thing about college campuses that are so great that students are more willing to take action. Like I was just walking through I was in New York maybe two days ago and. I saw in Washington Square Park, I'm guessing it's like NYU students, and uh, they were doing, uh, you know, they had this just act of solidarity. It had to be at least maybe like 50 to 100 mm-hmm. students out there chanting, singing, a lot it, of with campuses. signs. You know, my, my alma mater, University of Georgia, which is a massive public school, the biggest and the oldest, I think, public university in the, in the United States, or at least in Georgia for sure, um, 7% black students mm-hmm. out of a population of more than 35,000 students. Um, and they, the black student, not the black student union, the um, Student Government Association wrote an open letter saying, we support you, we stand I with like you, Mizzou. Um, it's just, yeah, it's nice to see all these schools sort of supporting their students, so... Yay for Mizzou. Mm -hmm. And then real quick, I cannot, I cannot not mention the comeback of Missy Elliott. Yeah. Because that video was fire. It was. With Pharrell, the little, um, the little marionettes. Yes. Did you watch? And the mirror ball tracksuit. Yes. Where can I find a mirror ball tracksuit? And her dancing and she snatched everything. She still got it. Yeah. She literally, she has not aged. Yeah. And what, what, what was the name of the video? Her new song? Uh, it's WTF, Where They From. Okay. Yeah, and just the beat, just everything was just... The song, honestly, the song will have to grow on me, as most of Missy's music has yeah. sort of over the years. But that video, though, I swear, she, like, really makes... You know, I feel like music videos have become, like, less of an important... Yeah, part of to, the... Part of, like, the music business now, because there's no more TRL. Yeah. There's no, like, more... Is it 106 in Park? Is that still on? I don't even know. I'm too old to care. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think it is, right? Um, yeah, so it's just nice. She's, like, bringing the video back. Yeah. Making it important. So, yay, Missy. We see Go, you, girl. Missy. So we don't usually do this, but me and Mandy both agreed that we are going to end this show on a with, high note. On a high note. So if you have not heard this, this is going to give you a little bit of life. 
There's a gentleman. Uh, what is his name? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, he did the remix to Golden Girls theme. For those of you who are unfamiliar, it's like, thank you for being a friend. So he did a black person's remix. Mm-hmm. And we're going to end the show on that. And So thanks for listening. And a happy Tuesday. Happy Brown Ambition Day. And uh, <laughs> here you go. Have a good week. Bye, guys. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.